he's here. So this is our second week in our Advent series. And, and maybe you're here and you're not accustomed to doing an Advent series every year. Or, or, or maybe that word is a little foreign to you. Um, let, let me tell you what it means in our context. Now, Advent is traditionally the four Sundays that leads up to Easter. But here's what we do. Christmas. <laughs> Christmas. Wow. The four Sundays that leads up to Christmas. In our context, we take those four Sundays and talk about the four things that Christ came to bring. Hope, love, joy, and peace. Last week we talked about hope. And I gave you a definition. I'll, I'll read it back to you. It says, hope is a confident expectation that God will be faithful to his word. Aren't you glad that he is indeed faithful to his word? Yeah. That he's working out all things for his glory and my good. Hope is a firm foundation for my life and a promise for my destiny. Hope is not wishful thinking, right? I hope, I hope it doesn't rain today. Oh, how did that work out? Not so good. I told you the hope was three things. The hope was, first of all, a celebration of prophecy. See, when Jesus was born in a manger, it wasn't just some arbitrary birth in a barn, it was a celebration of thousands of years of prophecy fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. So Advent's a celebration of prophecy. Christ came. Advent's a celebration of presence. Christ is here. Aren't you? Th I, the, the most amazing, maybe the, the greatest part of this story is that he is Emmanuel. Not God was here, but God is here with us. He's here. And Advent's a celebration of promise. See, if he came one time, he's coming again. Aren't you thankful? Yes. So today, you know, last week we talked about the arrival of hope. Today we're going to talk about the arrival of love. And, you know, I struggle anytime this, we, we talk about this subject because we've just destroyed that word. We just destroyed that word. We love everything, right? You know, from whatever. But, it, but here's the thing that I, I want you to help me. See, I, I believe that as pastors, our greatest job is theology. No, I just lost you. Theology is the study of God. Our biggest job is to look into this book and help you interpret it for your life and to do it accurately. I got the greatest compliment I've had in a long time last week. Can I share it with you? Somebody came up to me and said, I was listening to another preacher, and they talked about this story, and I know this story, and they added something that wasn't in the story, and I thought to myself, my pastor wouldn't do that. And I was like, woo -hoo! I'm like, I'm all about that. That's cool. <laughs> so that's our job is, you know, before we, we do all the other stuff that's a, a part of operating a church, our job is to study God. And when you do that, and by the way, that's not just my job, right? That's not just my job. That's our job, right? And when, when, you, when you study God, you, at any level, you'll make this discovery. There's this huge gap. 
between God's holiness and us. A huge gap between the holiness of God and the depravity of man. A huge gap. Huge. And so here's what men try to do with denomination and doctrine and dogma and religious practice. How can we as men and women bridge that gap? So we'll try to change our behavior to bridge that gap. We'll try to change the way we worship to bridge that gap. We'll do stuff at church to try to bridge that gap. And we always, always, always come up short. I was listening to a pastor this past week, and I agree with almost everything he says. I, I listen to him a lot. And, but he said something that just, you ever hear something you're like, that just doesn't sit right. Because here's what he said. He was, it was a very evangelistic sermon, and he was, he was doing all he could to, to help people understand their need for Christ. And oh, by the way, you need him. Okay, you, you need him. Uh, that part I... And he made this statement. He said, until you know Christ, God can only look at you through eyes of judgment. And I went, I, I get what you're saying. At, at the end, when you know, we talked about the end times. And at the end, guess what? He's either going to be our Savior or our judge. 100%. All right, and you get to choose which one he is, by the way. But can I tell you that I don't believe with anything in me that God looks at unredeemed humanity with eyes of judgment. If he did, what would we do with this verse? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting, eternal forever life see i believe with everything in me that god looks at you and me in whatever state we're in with eyes of love Amen. will you pray with me father over the next few minutes help us in some way with our feeble mortal human minds and our feeble, mortal, human hearts grasp just the surface of how deep and powerful your love is for your children, for the world, for Christians, and for lost humanity. Amen. This, this sermon, all the other ones that we'll do all year long, this has got to be the foundational bedrock of everything else we do. Everything we teach at Growth Group and everything we teach your children and your students and your babies, it's, it's got to come from here. See, on Christmas morning, hope arrived and then love arrived and his name was Jesus. So I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the love of God. And, and I hope that over the next few moments, here's what we'll be able to understand, that, 
that this kind of love is a little different than the love we have for our favorite sports team or our favorite restaurant or even our favorite human. This love is a, it's, it's not even in the same, same category. So I want you to just go on this journey with me this morning for what the love of God might look like. First of all, the love of God is constant. Constant. Has there ever been a person that told you they loved you and then proved that they didn't? Yeah. Human love is not like God's love. There's a theological term to explain who God is, and it's, it's the word immutable. In other words, that word literally means, see, we, we use the, the phrase unchanging, and it's really more than that. He can't change. He, he can't change. If you're perfect, why would you need to change anything? And if the love of God is perfect, it's constant and forever. In fact, the psalmist said it this way in Psalm uh, verse 30, chapter 36, your steadfast love, steadfast love, O Lord. Steadfast. It's not going anywhere. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. And can I tell you that we need that in our world. We need the steadfast, unchanging, immutable, constant love of God in our world because everything else is changing. Sometimes the, the, the fellows will be sitting around the buffet table on Wednesdays and you ought to come. We are solving the problems of the world around that table. We'll talk about how things have changed. We talk about television. How many know television's changed? Yeah. You, you know, you know, I, you remember 2, 5, 11? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. You know what? Nobody watches TV like we used to. Everything's changed. You used to be in front of your TV Wednesday night at 8 so I could watch Lost. <laughs> Anybody watch The Lost back in? Just me. Nobody else watched Lost? Oh, come on. Have we? All right. So, yeah. But, but guess what? You know, it was now if you miss it, you just. Hello, Alexa. <laughs> right? Things change. COVID taught us that things changed. Mm -hmm. Right? 9-11 taught us things changed. The world is constantly changing. Your world's constantly changing. You don't do for a living today what you thought you'd do for a living 15 years ago. You might not be living with somebody that you thought you'd be living with 15 years ago, 10 years ago, 20 minutes ago. I don't know. <laughs> How many know we need a constant and an ever-changing world? Yeah. And the love of God is that constant. Lamentations chapter 3. And I love that this chapter, this verse is in Lamentations. Lamentation is the most depressing book in the Bible. But here's what the most depressing book of the Bible says about the love of God. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. What if I let him down? When did you start holding him up? His mercies never cease. What if I fail him? Look, all right, I need eyeballs right here. Your failure is not powerful enough to stop the love of God. Verse 23 says, great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I wonder if you're like me. 
And, and there are days when you go, I can't wait to get some new mercy in the morning. <laughs> the love of God is constant, never changes. I want you to listen to what he told Jeremiah to the children of Israel. Now, let me ask you a question. Anybody in the room guilty of being fickle sometimes? In other words, like, don't catch me on a bad day. Like, don't catch me before I had a little caffeine in my system. If, you, if I say something to you before coffee, you're just going to have to overlook it, right? Anybody like that in the room? Yeah, I've talked to some of you before coffee. I know, I know how you like This is what he's told Israel, who was fickle. If you read the Old Testament, here's what you see. Israel is following God, not so much. Following God, not so much. Here's what he told them before they're about to go into a really bad season. Here's what he told them. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Your fickleness can't change how much God loves you. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes, sometimes I'll, I'll feel like, you know what, I'm, 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 I'm together. Right? Right? You know, you feel that way. You're like, I got it together today. And some days I'm like, I, how do I, I don't know, I can't even figure out how to get out of my house. <laughs> Find me something. I'm going to keep a paintball gun up here. <laughs> the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Listen, I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Any, any of you ever been like Pastor Dwayne and you, maybe you stepped outside of the boundaries and you feel that little tug on your heart? What are you doing, son? What are you doing? Where are you going? What are you thinking? Is, is that anger? Is that judgment? It's unfailing kindness. Mm. So the love of God is constant. Say constant. <laughs> the love of God, write this down, is present. I love this passage in 1 John chapter 4. Oh, by the way, if you want to learn about the love of God, read 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and you'll learn a lot about the love of God. This is what he says in chapter 4. This is how God showed his love. Oh, oh, look at those two words, among us. God's not in the grandstand. God's not sitting on some throne in heaven watching us, tossing us love became flesh and dwelt among us and on this december morning in loganville he is among us he sent his one and only son into the world do do you get the miracle that god the creator of the world came into the world that, he might, that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. How much? And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Why is that important? Because the love of God is present. In other words, there is no place you can go where he is not. He is in every place. 
if my place is despair and depression and brokenness and loneliness and fear and sickness, he is in that place. The psalmist said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Why? Because you are with me. So wherever you're at this morning, things are crazy in my house, Dwayne. He's in that place. Whatever relational struggles you have this morning, pay attention. He's in that place. He is among us. He is with us. He came into the world so he could be in that place. Aren't you glad that he's not some God that sits judgmentally off on some celestial throne just pointing at us and going, he missed it that time. She lost it that time. He became flesh and dwelt among us so he could be in that place with you today. He's in every place. And if he's in it, see, here's another beautiful theological truth about God is he is in every place. He can be in every place because he's not bound by space, right? He is omnipresent. There's no place that he isn't, all right? And if he's not bound by space, he's not bound by time. He's in every time. This truth changed my life. When I get to tomorrow and face whatever challenge, whatever struggle, whatever demon, whatever temptation, whatever frustration, whatever relation, whatever struggle that I face tomorrow, he's already there. The psalmist said, where in Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Anybody try to run from God? How'd how'd that work out for you? Just curious. How'd that work out? Not so good. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. I've told you this before. King James says it this way. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. I heard this ridiculous argument from theologians and they're now he's not meaning hell hell it was a figurative hell i'm like okay now listen if i ask you the question anybody in this room ever made your bed in hell you know what i'm talking about and even in that place he's there and why is it important that he's there? If, if we believe, and I believe the scripture teaches us that God is love, that he can't be in that place without his love being there. His love is present. Write this down. His, the love of God, you like the other ones, you might not like this one. The love of God is correcting. <laughs> Revelation chapter 3 says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Listen, if I'm wrong and he knows it, and if I'm wrong, he does know it. Come on, somebody. Right? He knows it. 
you know, I think it's interesting how we go and confess sin to God. And, I, and, I, and we're supposed to. It's biblical and it's cleansing. But it's not like we're telling him something he doesn't already know. It's not like we're telling God, hey, I, I, I know you weren't there. But I had this conversation I probably shouldn't have. He doesn't go, did not see that. The most unloving thing he could do in that moment is to just let me get comfortable in my wrongness. We say it like this. You know this. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. Let me ask you a question. Maybe this will help me explain it. You ever been in a restaurant and maybe mom and dad, two kids under the age of, say between the ages of four and six, Okay, mom and dad oblivious. Kids are running around, turning over ketchup bottles and throwing sweet and low packets across the room. And mom and dad are just locked in. They're clueless about what's going on. Do you go in that moment and go, man, those are two loving parents? No. You go, um, get your kid. Get your kid. It's not loving for God to see us in our wrongness and not rebuke us and challenge us and discipline us. It's not loving. But let me tell you how much he loves you. When you get off that path, the Holy Spirit, like a lasso, I believe, will wrap his arms of love and compassion and correction and discipline around you and draw you onto the right path. And you got a free will. You can ignore it if you want to. And you have, and so have I, and it just doesn't work out, does it? Oh, here's what God's going to do. God's going to show you the right path in our wrongness. Jeremiah called it the potter's wheel. So if you can get an image of a loving potter taking a wet, goofy, lumpy, sloppy disgusting lump of clay that's us by the way and he molds it and he shapes it and he forms something beautiful out of it and it's a painful process for the clay because sometimes he's got to take things away sometimes he's got to throw things away and sometimes but guess what he doesn't do to the clay it would be so much easier for that I, i know i've made it difficult on the potter i guess it's, I would go, why don't you just wad that lump of clay up and start over? Because he loves you. He's got a plan and a purpose, and he's molding you and shaping you and forming you. So, the love of God is correcting. Oh, by the way, let me just stop and tell you this. When he corrects you, it, it, it's, not always, it's not always pleasant. It can be painful. hear my heart when he corrects you let him don't 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 push it don't push that loving firm arm of god away and and sometimes that looks like something in your life that doesn't belong and he's molding you and shaping you so you'll you'll step away from that thing that's hurting you you'll step away from that thing that's 
killing you. And this is not legalism, y'all. This is the love of God that wants to shape us and form us into the image of his son. Love of God is correcting. The love of God is unconditional. <laughs> Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hmm. Just let that settle for a minute. One translation reads it this, this way. While we were utterly useless. God, God doesn't love you because you sing a song or play an instrument or teach a class or take care of the nursery or push a button upstairs. God doesn't love you because you clean the church. God doesn't love you because you, you, you do some task. Because before you could do anything, before you were any use to him whatsoever, he sent his son. Hmm. This one thought changed my life, and I don't know how old I was when I realized it. I, I, I'm sure it was my youth pastor. And Donna almost said it this morning. But here's the thought that, that really transformed my Christianity and tra transformed my perception of who God was. Because I'm going to tell you early on, I didn't think God was all that kind. I thought God was, I, I, I know that, that he was God and he called the shots, but I really thought that God was just waiting on me to mess up. I, I really thought that it was, you know, that I, 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 I just, no way I could be good enough and no way I could, I could live this life that all these people are telling me I'm supposed to live. It just doesn't work. And, and, it must have been my youth pastor that said it this way. There's nothing you can do, Dwayne, that'll cause God to love you more than he loves you right now. And there's nothing you can do, Dwayne, that'll cause God to love you less than he loves you right now. It's unconditional. And we, and we want to, we, we have a hard time with that. Well, God, obviously, I got it. Now, listen, are you supposed to serve in the church? Are you supposed to serve your community? Are you supposed to serve your family? Are you supposed to serve others? Are you supposed to work? Are there faith without works is? Yes. yes, of course. But that, you don't do that to earn God's love. You do it in response to God's love. <laughs> so the love of God is unconditional. Write this down. The love of God. Donna Song said, reckless. I'm going to call it Relentless. John 3, 16, we've already read it once, but let's read it again. For God, could, could it have been grammatically correct for, God, for, for John to write it down this way? For God loved the world. But he didn't just love the world. He so loved the world. He so loves you. And it's relentless. I may have told you these stories. I don't know. I've been telling y'all stories for a long time, and some I don't know. But I want to tell you this. I want to tell you two stories of the most frightening moments in my life. Literally, the most frightened I've ever been in my life. And it involves both of my children. One was Mikey. 
And as you can probably figure this out, and I've told you this before, and it doesn't come as a great surprise to anybody, Mikey had no fear. He was just... (laughs) He was going to jump and ride and skate and do all the stuff that his mom was terrified that he would do, and he did that all. And I'm up on our back deck before we left to go to Statesboro, and I'm watching him ride down this hill on his bike, no helmet, and... And he's heading toward this ditch. And, you know, uh, the dad eyes come on, and you see what's getting ready to happen. He's going to hit the ditch with that front wheel, and he's going over the handlebars. And that's exactly what happened. And in my eyes, it seemed like it was slow motion. But I'm, I'm, I'm 16 feet up this deck, and I can't get there. I can't get there. No way I could get there in time. All I could do was scream, and I think that made it worse. (laughs) And yes, he went over the handlebars, and yes, it was a little bloody, but he's here. (laughs) The second one was Matt. And we, uh, we, we were celebrating Christmas with my brother in Columbia, South Carolina, and it was after Christmas, and so we were shooting fireworks, which... I might have this much pyromania. <laughs> I love to shoot some fireworks. Come on, somebody. Anybody just yeah. me? Come on, I love to shoot some fireworks. And we were having a big time, and we had shot so many fireworks. There was this huge ball of smoke at the end of my brother's driveway, and Matt was probably, I don't know, maybe eight. He was little, uh, maybe, maybe a little younger than that. And we were out there, and he's standing in the middle of... <coughs> He's standing in the middle of this smoke cloud, and I see two headlights coming toward the smoke cloud, and I can't see him inside the smoke cloud, so if I can't see him, that car can't see him. And I could not get there fast enough. I screamed, and, and only an angel protected him that day. I told you those stories to tell you. I'm a broken, flawed father, and when I saw my kids in trouble, I could not get to them fast enough. How much more can a perfect, loving father, how must he feel in your moment of trial, in your moment of temptation? He sees you in the middle of that cloud. He sees you coming down that hill. And guess what? He's a little faster than I am. And he can get there. And nothing, nothing will stop him. He's Relentless. Hmm. How, how, really? There's nothing he won't do. There's no shadow he won't light up, no mountain climb up. How big? How, how much would he do? The Word, Jesus, became flesh, stepped out of heaven. And on that first Christmas morning, dwelt among us. He's relentless. And lastly, this is the last fill-in. The love of God is enough. So, I, I wonder if you, like me, have ever had this conversation with yourself. There are areas in my life where I don't measure up. In other words, I'm, I'm not enough. 
I've had that conversation with myself. I'm not enough to be the husband I'm supposed to be, and I'm not enough to be the father that I'm supposed to be, and now I'm not enough to be the grandfather that I'm supposed to be, and I'm not enough to be the pastor that I'm supposed to be, and I'm not enough to be the employee I'm supposed to be, and I'm not enough to be the friend that I'm supposed to be, and you, you replay that over and over and over in your head long enough. Guess what? It's exhausting. When you constantly remind yourself how much how insufficient you are to do all the things that you feel like you need to do. Take a breath. The love of God is enough. All those places where you don't measure up, all those areas where you're not enough, He is more than So I, many of you know my story, and I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, I didn't grow up in church, uh, and, and so church stuff was a little weird to me at first. Uh, anybody not grow up in church and see church stuff, and it was weird to you at first? Okay, because it was weird to me, and I, I didn't understand all of the th- stuff that they were doing, and, but, but I fell in love with this big, huge man. He, his name was Guy Jones, and he was our youth pastor. And he was, he was this big man, he was a truck driver, and he would cry like a little child. And I remember him reading this passage that I'm going to read to you this morning. And it, it just clicked. As a, as a child, as a teenager, it just clicked. And I think I was able to grasp for just a moment just how powerful and strong and relentless God's love was. And so I'm going to read it to you, and you've heard it before. Donna quoted some of it earlier. But here's what I'd love you to do. It's just, Donna's going to come, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to read this as kind of a way to end our time together today. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to read it, hear it. You're going to read it on the screen or on, on version, or read it along in your Bible. But I want you to read it and hear it with fresh ears and, and fresh eyes today. Because it's powerful and it's life-changing. It's Romans chapter 8. And Paul's talking about the love of Christ. And here's what he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Can Can we stop right there for a minute? Listen, if God's on your side, it doesn't matter what hell throws at you. If God be for us, who can be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Did you get that phrase? God himself has given us right standing with himself. (laughs) Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Verse 35 says, can anything, 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 ever separate us from Christ's love. 
Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. Does it mean he doesn't love us when things go wrong? Does it mean he doesn't love us when the bills aren't paid? Does it mean he doesn't love us when the kids aren't behaving? Does it mean he doesn't love us when the rent's not paid? Does it mean he doesn't love us when the job's not going well? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Anybody remember what King James says about overwhelming victory? We are more than conquerors. And then this is where where guy would start to cry. Verse 38. And I am convinced, King James says, for I am persuaded that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes. Here's what I need you to know. God so loved the world. But the only way you're going to fully experience and encounter the love of God is to surrender your life to His Son. Mm. Father, we love you in this place. Golly. You're just... Your, your love for us is overwhelming. And we'll study it and study it and we'll read and we'll preach and we'll sing about it. But God, when we when we look deeply into the love of God, it's overwhelming and amazing. Maybe in your own way. Would you take a moment and thank God for His love for you? I I, I bet if you try hard enough, you can think of a moment when you were going down the hill or you were standing in that cloud. And God showed up for you and revealed His love to you in a very real way. Or maybe you're here this morning and you say, Dwayne, I'm, I'm, I'm in the cloud now. <laughs> I'm flying down the hill, heading for a ditch. Here, here's my promise to you. I said, I'm not going to tell you that 
you follow Jesus and you live for God, that you're never going to hit a ditch. Now, I'm not going to tell you that. Here's what I'm going to promise you. You'll never have to lay in one by yourself. So wherever you're at today, and I just want to challenge you. Man, be thankful for the love of God that he showed you and in his son Jesus or maybe you're here and you say Dwayne I'm in a desperate place oh, and I need God's love Don's going to sing this chorus a time or two and then we're going to pray and maybe maybe today will be a good day for you to settle some things with Jesus maybe he's been pursuing you relentlessly about some stuff. Maybe there's some stuff that he's trying to correct in your life. I'm just going to challenge you to make today the day that you surrender to him and his love. And that you leave this place convinced that starting today, I'm going to follow him like I've never followed him. I'm going to I'm going to live my life not in order to earn God's love, but in response to his love that he showed me. So I want you to worship the Lord. Don's going to sing this a time or two. Father, we stand as a people who are deeply indebted to you for your boundless, relentless, reckless love. God, our prayer today is that you help us live our lives in full response to this truth, that God, 
so loved the world that he gave his only son. Help us live our lives in response to the truth that while we were yet sinners, you sent your son out of great love for us to die. Help us live our lives in full response to this truth. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that we find in Christ Jesus. And for that, we worship you, give you praise and honor and majesty for your goodness. Come on, I, I want us to end this service. I want you to stand to your feet. And if God's been good to you, if you've shown you his love, I want you to respond to him because of his goodness. How wide, yes. How deep, how great is your love for me. Come on, just once more. Sing to the Lord. How wide, how wide, oh, how wide, how deep, how great. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. Have an awesome, awesome, awesome afternoon.